Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. This is Every Record Ever Recorded, a field guide to the music of Earth. I'm Hannah, and my guest expert this episode is musician and teacher Christos Govetas, here to talk about the Greek urban folk music that's known, at least if you spell it in English letters, as Rebetica. So let's set the scene here. Rebetica is about to be invented. Where are we? What's going on? And what made it happen? I think this starts from the end of the Ottoman Empire. And I think uh, partially it has to do a lot with the fact that Greece is in disarray after the, their independence uh, from the, the Ottomans in uh, 1824. For a long period of time after that, there's all these unruly, uneducated uh, individuals that um, many of them um, from villages and towns uh, haven't endured a constant war with the Ottomans um, and oftentimes sought after the cops for Mm -hmm. a variety of different reasons. They end up in Athens. which is not the center that we know now. Uh, it was actually uh, just another regular small town of 10,000 people, maybe. They seek refuge there and anonymity. And in that process, and this is usually, this is what we're talking about is at the end of the 1800s, uh, 1890, 1880, this is the beginning of the appearance of this music and this culture. They end up, uh, a lot of them, uh, sort of gather in these shady places. They're called tekedes. And uh, teke is uh, is a Turkish word, which means the shrine. Uh, It's a Sufi shrine. But uh, to them, a teke is the hash den. And um, so the word changes its meaning, of course. And uh, so they end up there. Hash is still legal during the Ottoman Empire. It's essentially the underworld is where you are. And so you have all these guys that are shady characters in every way possible. And so they get, if you can imagine, you know, they get um, drunk or stoned and there's an instrument that's hanging on the wall and they pick it up and they play and somebody gets up and dances the Zebekiko, which is a very solemn sort of dance for one remnants of uh, the Zebeks, the Turkish Zebeks, who were ferocious fighters and uh, notorious for their style of dancing. But it's introverted music. It's for the consumption of the few, not for the masses. This is just music that you murmur in your stupor, if you will, <laughs> for your buddies to kind of be entertained uh, around you. And uh, that's all that it was meant for, with dirty words, with words about hash, with words about sometimes irrelevant things, just borrowed uh, uh, lyrics from here and there, just to entertain your friends, if you can imagine. So mm. so it's it's really for very uh, for a very small crowd and and the consumption of the few. This is one of Marcus's uh, Marcus van Vacaris, who was one of the most uh, prolific in many ways composer, singer, songwriter, bouzouki player, 
and so on. He wrote uh, over 2,500 tunes wow. in his lifetime, uh, many of them major hits. Uh, and he starts, he's humbling, his humble beginning is from the teke, you know. So this is a, uh, recorded in 1934. It's called Ime Alanyaris. I'm a scoundrel, not a scoundrel, but uh, I'm a wanderer. <laughs> So he's talking about being out in the in the streets, um, and uh, he's completely stoned, walking around. I don't recognize anybody in my stupor. He says. Started smiling and shaking your head whatsoever is about. <laughs> he says uh, he's asking the, the the guy who owns the teke, just make a nice fat bong for me. I'm coming. <laughs> When we all get high, make no mistake, we really love you, oh, oh grateful bong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a really good picture here. We're watching this on YouTube, and, and it's being lavishly illustrated with period photos of incredible bongs. <laughs> So I, one of the things that I wanted to say was that, um, uh, you know, a lot of this music, a lot of these tunes uh, is actually written in the uh, time signature of 9-8, otherwise known as a Zebekika or Zebekiko. Uh, Zebekika is the plural version of it. And uh, it's that particular rhythm that... Uh, you dance the Zebekiko. Mm. It's it's that uh, what what I've described earlier. A word here about other rhythms. One is the Chasapiko, which is a two four rhythm. Mm. 
Casaposervico, which is also 2-4 rhythm, but the faster version of it. And then the overwhelming majority, which is the Zebekiko, which is a 9-8. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, two, three. Then there's the aptalico, which is the backwards, so seven, eight, nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So the one is on the seven, actually. Mm -hmm. That's where the beginning of the song is. So that's kind of the early sound, and uh, all you hear in there is a baglama and a buzuki, and maybe somebody just banging on something, maybe uh, glasses, shot glasses or uh, zills or something like that, and somebody's singing. Zills being the, the finger symbols. Yeah, finger symbols. Yeah. Let's, let's talk for a second about the buzuki, which is the plucked or strummed lute-shaped stringed instrument at the heart of a lot of modern Greek folk music. Did the buzuki start with rebetica or rebetica with the buzuki or? Well, yes and no. I think what uh, this this particular answer has conflicts in it because mm. some people in Greece uh, like to think that the buzuki sort of came out of uh, this other earlier Greek instrument in parenthesis, uh, the pandura. But really, the buzuki looks a lot more, the early buzuki looks a lot more like a modified Turkish saz. And to me, it makes a lot of sense that that would be the case. Uh, in fact, one of the earlier composers and so-called buzuki players was Jovan Chaus, uh, otherwise known as Ejiridis, who came from Istanbul. Uh, and he played and he wrote some incredible songs and uh, he played his instrument that no one else could play. Mm. Why? Because it had all these quarter-tones like typically the saz does, the Turkish saz does. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the buzuki is a fretted instrument. So the buzuki no is a fretted instrument uh, with permanent frets. So right. it's, it's basically, it's like a westernized instrument. Whereas before, uh, like I said, he's one of the main characters where that instrument is, I think it's right at the cusp of its modification. Mm. And uh, that's why they always, uh, you know, Marcos Van Vakaris and others who tried to play his instrument uh, uh, say that, oh, nobody could play that instrument because it was just so weird and odd. Weird in the sense that it had all these quarter tones. And so they, they had difficulty playing it. They just didn't quite understand it like the way he did. And the bouzouki is not the only Turkish-influenced aspect of rebetica. So how, socially, culturally, did these Turkish influences get in there? So here's what happens. Uh, all these uh, historical events that take place, the purging, the end of the Ottoman Empire, <clears throat> and the purging of those from Asia Minor, there's a war waging. The Ottoman Empire is shrinking to a point where of oblivion. And so 
their response is to engage and and survive any way they can, and that is by exterminating millions of people. Of you know the Armenians, uh, many of the Greeks were expelled, the Pontians, and many others, um, Jews, um, and because this purging, ethnic cleansing that takes place while that word is is cleansed and purged it's a horrible thing uh, that it conceals uh, and uh, that's what happened to a lot of the greeks particularly from uh, Zmirni or izmir as it's known now on the coast of turkey and uh, in 1922 is this so-called population exchange but they were forced out May, thousands of them got killed in, in literally in days so a lot of them end up in Piraeus, refugees, Greeks, refugees in Piraeus, thousands upon thousands, with nowhere to turn. And many of them didn't even speak Greek. They may have considered them, they may have been uh, Christian, but that was the only, their identification was that they were Greek and they were expelled from Turkey, refugees. So they end, they end up in these shanty towns around Piraeus, the port of Athens. Um, and the thing is that the overwhelming majority of these people were very wealthy, well-educated individuals that have no place else to resort to but the underworld. Mm. And so prostitution, theft, drugs, all those things uh, come into their lives because, again, they're not accepted by the local Greeks and uh, there's no place to work. So what are you going to do, you know? And so they end up in the same sort of hash dens as all these other exist pre-existing dudes, you know. Mm. Uh, but a lot of these people are already, uh, they understand, they, they read and write music, they're composers, they're, like I said, educated in the West, uh, uh, piano players, mandolin players, and, and whatnot. Good composers that also brought in this other idiom from the east, from Turkey, which was very Turkic, very Asia Minor, what we call Asia Minor. It was a whole other genre of music. Uh, so this infusion takes place in these hash dens and elsewhere, of course, uh, in Athens. And uh, they're beginning to write tunes about hash and the hard life, but with Western, well, I don't want to say Western instrumentation, but with Eastern scales and makams and uh, sounds. Mm -hmm. So the violin, the sanduri is another one, which is like a hammered dulcimer. Those are typical instruments, uh, and the guitar, uh, typical instrument. Whereas in the sort of pure rebetical world, you just have the buzuki and the baglama, maybe, which is a shorter version of the buzuki. It's just a tiny little instrument. And maybe a guitar. That's that's kind of the standard. Uh, so these guys are coming in and they're sort of reconfiguring this genre, and they're writing some new tunes. They're using some older tunes, and now all this is becoming quite interesting musically. Yes. 
This is a famous singer, Rosa Eskenazi, and she's singing about uh, going into a teke, smoking hash. That's just another example, and uh, there's many more uh, where um, this other idiom again from Asia Minor is is prominent. And here's a case of uh, Andonis Dalgas, who was uh, an incredible singer who came from Asia Minor uh, as a refugee, and uh, uh, this is an amanes. It's a typical sort of song of uh, it's a somewhat of an Im improvisation. Um, on a particular scale, vocal improvisation on a particular scale. Mm -hmm. It's called Amanes Kaliznichtias, of the, the uh, good night improvisation, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the accordion is actually, what you hear here is not an accordion, it's a harmonium, and is a famous harmonium player, Papadzis, was the guy's name, also from Asia Minor.
think you get the picture uh, with that this. That is gorgeous. What a yeah. voice. Yeah, incredible voice. And um, uh, that in the picture here you see is him playing that guitar while you know, he always played guitar and sang. Um, and that's Sam Susan or the violin. And I don't know who that is on the Sanduri and another guitar. Anyway, here's something else that's happening at the same time here in America. Uh, we have this uh, recording label that was put together by... Um, Marika Papagika, this woman in New York mm -hmm. with her husband. You know about her, right? I uh, That song reminded me a little bit yeah. of her, her, her hit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Many hits, actually, uh, that she put together uh, of some traditional tunes from Asia Minor. I think they were all traditional tunes from Asia Minor. And it's just an incredible record to have uh, there of the earlier recordings, 1920, 24, somewhere there, 23. That's when she recorded a lot of this stuff. And so, but there are three musicians in most of her recordings. Well, four, her singing, her husband. Uh, so there's a violin, uh, a sanduri, the hammered dulcimer, and a cellist. I don't know where he comes from, who he is. There is absolutely no information to my knowledge who he was. He might have been an American. It, it could be someone uh, of other maybe Eastern European ethnicity. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think there's any information about this guy. But, wow. but it just fits in really well. So I'll play an example of that. Yeah. Uh, a viable scene here in in america and uh, uh that this genre is uh, actually becoming because uh, like i said it became popular in the 30s and 40s and uh it follows suit here too uh, with musicians here locally or musicians that come from greece and they perform here and here's i have another example that i would like to play for you and uh uh, this is sort of the American experience, and it's vast, mind you. Mm. Uh, there's many, many recordings of a lot of different people, and one of which is uh, 
Yorwas Katsaros. Uh, and this is, uh, it says here it's recorded in 1938, but this guy started recording in the 20s as well. Uh, 1918, I think, is his first recording. He lives in Tarpon Springs in Florida. He lived. <laughs> and uh, uh, I had the pleasure to meet him um, and perform with him, actually, when I discovered that he was still alive. <laughs> uh, he was 106, he said, when we met him. Wow. And, uh, and, we actually had, we did a documentary uh, back in the early 90s, and he died soon thereafter. Yorgos Katsaros, 1938, Remangato Dude, your knife, you better sharpen it. <laughs> <laughs> Μαγα το μαχαίρι σου για να το κουσουμάρι. Πρέπει να έχει την ψυχή, καρδιά για να το βγάλει. Πρέπει να έχει την ψυχή, καρδιά για να το βγάλει. Εμένα δεν περνάνε αυτά και κρύψε το σπαθί σου γιατί μας τουριστά αγενώ και θα έρθω στο σου γιατί μας τουριστά αγενώ και θα έρθω στο σου So there's so much to say about this uh, this music, of course, and uh, uh, you know if we're gonna traverse its history and how it evolves. Uh, for a lot a lot of us, uh, this genre stops being rebetica in 1936, and that's when this censorship comes into play. In 1936, this composer writes a song making fun of a girl with a particular name. Mm. But it just so happens that that's the prime minister's daughter's name. <clears throat> so the prime minister doesn't, doesn't think that is funny. Um, and so he says, okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are all done. So no how more. would the prime minister have heard about this? Is this is, this is you know small music to play with your friends, and it's, it it must have gotten a little bit more popular uh, for it to reach his ears. Yeah, maybe I should backtrack a little bit and tell you that what we what I've described as er, the early Rebetico scene is in the late eighteen hundreds up until nineteen you know fifteen nineteen twenty. Up until then, we have hardly any of this out in the open. There are hardly any recordings, hardly anything out in the open. 
this explosion ha happens in after 1923 when all these refugees come flooding in. in uh, yeah. okay. And, and so by 1930, 32, Marcos van Vacaris, with all these tunes that he records, uh, suddenly they become, maybe because the records are out and available, and but at the same time, there's this, the, the sort of, the high society of Athens listens to a whole different type of very European style Greek music, you mm. know, composed music that's very proper and for, you know, for the, for the upper classes. But this, this is, this speaks to the, you know, the masses, really, mm. this music. And it becomes, very quickly, it becomes popular by 1934-35. Tons of songs have been recorded and are played everywhere, and they're popular. And so their popularity, uh, it has, you know, obviously repercussions. And, right. Uh, um, so that's why you get this one tune, which is actually composed by... Um, someone from Asia Minor, knowledgeable with modern composition and, you know, being able to combine these two genres together. And he comes out with this popular tune. Everybody's trying to write a popular tune right. to make it, right? And so there, there it goes without any dirty lyrics or anything, but they were suggestive, sexually mm -hmm. suggestive uh, lyrics about this young woman. And so anyway, the prime minister found that as an opportunity to say, okay, no more hash from now on. It's forbidden. If you were found in the streets with your instrument, with a bouzouki, that basically meant that you were one of those guys. So you'd be arrested, your instrument would be broken, you know, so it becomes an outlaw. You know, the uh, the the instrument itself is the it signifies that you're an outlaw. So this censorship comes in, and like I said, because already this genre is becoming pop, more and more popular, for these composers and musicians to survive, they have to purge their lyrics. Mm. So the music stays the same, more or less. It, I mean, obviously, it evolves into slightly different things. Now accordions come into play, you know, something that wasn't there before. Um, other instruments, the violin and, and two bouzoukis, you know, double um, thirds, uh, harmonies, harmonizing. You know, there, it's just becoming a more three-dimensional and mainstream type of genre mm. ever so slowly. Uh, but with cleansed words the the word hash is being replaced by ouzo or wine mm. or um things like that there's no knifings anymore you know mm. life is good you know right. I mean? yeah just suddenly everything is just rosy so uh, and then second world war happens and so but this music during second world war also thrives and uh uh, other able composers like Vasilis Tsitsanis comes into play. And uh, this guy is another prolific composer and writer and uh, singer-songwriter, bouzouki player, incredible bouzouki player. He's from Trikala, this guy. He's uh, Trikala is in Thessaly, which is the middle of uh, Greece, and he descends in Athens. He was, I think he was studying law, actually, to be a lawyer, and uh, he gave up because he ended up in somebody's hash den, and so <laughs> the rest is history. He wrote about 1,500 songs and recorded about that many that were almost every one of them were major, major hits. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and he sang them. And so let's find a... Uh, an example of that. Uh, 
this is an interesting combination, I should say. Uh, there are all kinds of other great singers that come along to uh, women and men. And uh, this one is by Sotiria Bellu, who was just an incredible force, both in the genre, in this particular genre, and later. She is also a refugee from ma the mainland. <laughs> and she has a peculiar story. When she was young, she was forced into what sounds like a terrible um, engagement with this guy who was beating her and mm. abusing her. And so she turns around and th he, she threw uh, acid on him and didn't kill him uh, or didn't disfigure him terribly, but she ended up in jail for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But she was a lesbian. And so to be a lesbian at that time in that part of the world, she didn't make that um, public, mm. but she left from Evia, where she lived, and she comes to Athens, and immediately Tsitsanis, this, this composer, you know, takes her in, says, you're gonna be singing with me, because she's a great singer. Mm. And so she sang a great many of his songs. This is Mesta Varya Mesanikta, in the middle of the night. It's, um, it's a nostalgic song. So this is obviously later, um, this, this uh, according to uh, YouTube here, uh, it's recorded in 1953, um, hmm. it, even though it sounds like it's reminiscing of earlier uh, versions of this music. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, one of the things that we really should say about this genre is that it sort of has four different, three or four different um main themes one is of the drugs and the harsh life mm -hmm. uh, you know, so you know some people say that uh, and i think this is where the romanticism of of us later uh, kind of somehow rewrite 
the concept of or their lives or what what rebetiko is it's not the glorification of drugs yes they they do talk about hashish and how much they loved it but they also always some somewhere in the lyrics insert how difficult life is and uh what they have to resort to uh, there are about 600 700 songs that were written about drugs and hash specifically and then there's a whole list of songs about tuberculosis, again, mm-hmm. the hard life of, of mm-hmm. the time. Uh, songs about unrequited love, of course, of course, you know, is in any genre. The living as a refugee, jail, lots yeah. of tunes about jail. And I think that's, that's generally the themes that they're uh, mostly uh, talking about. And some of them are traditional songs from Asia Minor that are being reincorporated or retooled or you know redone, and so it's just such an interesting combination of uh, because these people actually do represent that demographic that came from Asia Minor, and uh, with the locals meddling, you know, in their business all together, so they the music reflects it and. Uh, um it's really interesting but uh, again you know i just wanted to say that uh, rebetiko is just simply influenced by music of the refugees it was there from before right yeah uh, so not to confuse the two it's influenced and it's moved in a particular direction at times toward a more asia minor style kind of turkic uh sound uh but it starts elsewhere it starts from from uh, from the locals that uh, come from the countryside to Athens yeah as I said earlier so the uh the the classic comparison to American pop music is that robotic is the blues of Greece um our mutual friend Greg Jenkins thinks that it's more like the hip-hop of Greece um and to me it sounds a little bit more like country music you know being getting drunk and how you miss your mom and your your love and you know Right. I think, you know, in, in the end, it's the music, any music in the world that talks about the misery of being human, <laughs> you know, uh, is what what it is. You know, mm. I think you find that the world over. And, you know, some people might say that, yeah, the blues is kind of a, 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 um, a good comparison to make. Um, yes and no. I mean, yeah, uh, in some ways, thematically speaking, yeah, in the blues, we have a lot of tuberculosis tunes, right? That's true. Yeah, uh, we do have tunes about drugs also mm-hmm. uh, with the blues. Uh, it's the people, the oppressed, the, the music of the oppressed people. Uh, yeah, that is also what's going on with these guys too. So there are a lot of similarities, but I think that's probably where all these things end. We have many different influences that are going on in 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 Rebetico that don't quite reflect what's going on with the with the blues so i mean in some ways yeah and in some ways no we could say that yeah hip-hop i don't know enough about to comment so yeah, yeah. i think i think greg's point about hip-hop was that it is that that there's this sort of performative danger around it you know like not everybody who's ever talked about killing someone on a record has actually killed someone 
Oh, um, yeah. And but that there is this sort of societal disapproval. I mean, we we've had congressional hearings about hip hop lyrics. You know, where right. Rebecca was censored because of what they were saying. And that is so there is that that sort sure. of parallel. But that, that makes perfect sense. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, absolutely. That that does make sense. And even, you know, and there's another uh, parallel here is that with Rebetica, even though they do talk about, oh, I'm going to come and knife you or whatever, uh, if you don't behave, you know, they're just they probably bragging. weren't that many stabbings. Right. They're bragging. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what's going on. And and I think that's, uh, that is really interesting. Yeah. I never thought of it about hip hop that way. But yeah, anyway. No. Uh, so I think, you know, a better description would probably be just music of the uh, marginalized people of the of uh, the 20s and 30s. And yeah, very similarly with the, the blues, where you have the blues becoming rock and roll, mm. which is a whole other, you know, and a much more popular genre, mm -hmm. right? It's exactly what happens to Rebetica. You know, once it becomes, it just, it's, the, the bird is out of the cage and then it just flourishes into this incredible thing. And, yeah. Uh, and um, so we have, uh, all these other composers, and Titanius, again, being one of the main ones, um, and Marcos van Vacaris, those two, but Titanius is more formal and more three-dimensional than Marcos. Marcos is, in many ways, that's why he's considered to be the father, because he just wrote simple tunes that, you know, go straight to the heart, mm. the lyrics there, there's something immediate about his voice is unpolished, gravelly. He doesn't care. It's not about that. It's about the expression. That is where the value is for me in Rebetica, is in that expression of the the instrument and of the voice uh, and the lyric, of course. Um, Seems like a good time to play another Marco song. Uh, that sounds like a good idea. Here we go. We were smoking one evening. Marcos von Vacaris. Verabetica. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there's really something uh, Hank Williams-y about that. You know, one guy, one instrument, one mm. voice, and yeah. just this infinite universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so much expression just out of mm. that. <clears throat> out of that uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, so 
you know, after Second World War um, and in the early 50s, uh, all kinds of other people come in to play and they write all kinds of other tunes that become very popular. One is uh, Manolis Chiotis. And Manolis Chiotis is a bouzouki player that ends up in New York and uh, I guess gets together with musicians that play jazz and uh, and he modifies his three-string bouzouki to a four-string bouzouki. At least that's what I under, my understanding is that mm -hmm. he's the first to do that and tunes it differently. Um, the uh, three-string bouzouki is tuned to D-A-D. So when you strum it open, it just has an open tuning. So it's very easy to play. Um, but he tunes this new four-string bouzouki like the bottom four strings of a guitar. And so he's much more virtuosic with his playing and his compositions are, ref they reflect that, mm. um, that idea. And um, uh, this is in the 50s, Manolis Chiotis. Completely different <laughs> aesthetic, so far removed from what we know. in the teke anymore <laughs> <laughs> no far from it where are we listening to this we, music now we are in the uh, upper crust salons of athens you know that's, this, that's... This dinner theater kind of <laughs> it's a whole other ball game <laughs> right you know? it, right it's just not what uh, uh what anyone in, ever intended with this music but right. uh, here you go uh, i mean it's just you can't you don't have any control of it where it goes and how it behaves and, uh, and now at this point this is called the sort of golden age of the rebetica again you know it's debatable whether this is a rebetico anymore right it's, it's such popular music and popularized music that it just doesn't uh I don't think it adheres to those early Rebetica notions at all. The buzuki is probably the only connection, mm. you know. How does it get from here to there? If we want to get a little deeper with this, is that this desire to purge anything that's Ottoman or Turkish from the upper classes, from the government, uh, you know, because we're trying to differentiate. We're 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 Westerners. We they, mm, we we're keep mm -hmm. we're being told that we are Europeans. We are not. 
I have news for you. But anyway, um, <laughs> th that's that's the prevailing sort of uh, notion and driving force behind moving this thing in a different direction. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's why you hear a lot more influences from the West. You know, all these musicians are being influenced and they influence, right? That's what music is. And that's what arts are in general. But they're moving it now that it's so much more mainstream with no words of hash, of knifings, like I said, in jails and that, in jail and that sort of thing. Um, so the lyrics change and they're very schlocky, kind of, you know, I love you, you love me, mm. whatever. <laughs> you know, we're Europeans, look at us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is European music, you know. It has nothing to do with the tequedas. And so all that old music, by the way, was verboten. So you couldn't find any records mm. after, you couldn't find anything, uh, any of the old recordings. I mean, the people who own some of these records, they listen to them all the time and nobody could do anything about it. But uh, there was there was nothing out in the market to, to find and buy. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is true of, in Greece and in the States and... In the US, I think it's different because there is no enforcement here mm -hmm. so you if you had those records you could sell them not a problem because nobody in no cop was going to come in and just you know say hey wait a minute that's that's a hash tune there you're playing so you could buy these records here what was left of them they just weren't producing them anymore mm -hmm. so however many they they produced and then that was it i want to give you another uh sample an earlier sample marika ninu who was an incredible singer mm -hmm. um and this sort of marriage, even though this is in the 40s, this kind of marriage between the old and the new with musicians and style. Uh, and she's just doing singing in a, in a mané. This is a live recording. Studzimy tu hondru at Fat Jimmy's. And you can hear the piano and...
This is just the, you know, bouzoukis, violins, pianos, and whatnot in a in a restaurant um, live, and she's just singing in Turkish, mind you, because mm-hmm. she came from Asia Minor. Also, she was a refugee, a very famous singer with uh, Tsitsanis playing bouzouki in the background. So, what is the what's the structure of a song like that? So she's improvising, but obviously the instruments are not improvising. Yeah, in this particular case, the, it's just. Uh, um, She's she's making a vocal improvisation, which is comes from that other tradition, which is tightly connected with Asia Minor and Rebetica, which is the Cafe Aman, they mm, called it. Mm-hmm. Aman, Aman is an exclamation, you know, ah, oh, whatever, um, exclamation type. And uh, so these Cafe, Cafe Aman were places where uh, right after 1923, when they all piled up there in, in Piraeus, there were all these coffee shops where you could go in and have your coffee and drink or whatever and you could hear uh these singers sing tunes from asia minor you know Mm. in in this turkish tradition uh and that didn't last very long again because the uh the upper sort of crust of the uh the athenian society just didn't you know they did not want to be turks you know this is a, a time mm-hmm. in greece where they're doing their damnedest to differentiate themselves and move away from the anything ottoman turkish whatever so this music phased away quickly because there are other forces that are driving it away so so should we talk at all about what happened what happened in the 50s and 60s the the what what became of the golden age yeah the golden age of rebetica starts in uh, right after the second world war 1945 48 48 50 that's about it from there on it becomes a genre more associated to what they call laika and laika means like popular tunes mm. it's it's a different thing altogether yeah. uh, composed and so on and so forth. Not that the other stuff wasn't composed, but the early Rebetica certainly wasn't. Do you want me to play something of that? Um, we didn't have to listen to much of it. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, live recording with uh, Vasily Tsitsani and Sotiria Bello in 1976.
you get the idea. Amp amplifiers. Right. And, uh, We've got an electric guitar. We've got sunglasses on stage. <laughs> oh, that that was her. Uh, that was her signature sort of. Oh, she yeah? always wore those. Yeah. Uh -huh. Until she died, I think. Yeah. She she was a character and a half. Very progressive vocal about it. And mm. yeah, I think she came from a leftist family in Greece. So and then you have revivals. There's early revivals. Uh, I mean, there's about four or maybe, yeah, five of them. And I remember the first revival was after the fall of the military junta in 1973 and the return of some form of democracy for the time being with the uh, Karamanlis uh, regime. Things begin to loosen up. And so a lot of these tunes are coming back out again yeah, I had never, I remember growing up in Greece, I heard some of this. I heard some of the later Marcos Van Vakaris tunes, but I never knew of him be from before. You know, I had never oh, heard wow. anything before. And suddenly, oh, who's this guy? And why is he, <laughs> you know, his gravelly voice is nothing polished. And mm. why do people like this, you know? It, it was sort of coming back, but again, no dirty words, nothing about, no, no mention of drugs or anything of the sort. So, so the first revival is probably 1979, 1978, somewhere there. The second revival is 1982 or somewhere there, 87, the, the, the next one. And what's happened in the first few revivals is they started playing more, uh, they, they were adding more instruments, more violins, uh, three bouzoukis, three baglamades, two, three guitars, pianos again. And so this is becoming something much more polished and um, eclepticized. Is there such a word in, <laughs> in English? So in other words, it, it just it's refined, but from a museum sort of perspective, mm, you know, mm -hmm. it's just refined uh, in what they perceived it to be. Though it wasn't, because again, their drive was to make it popular again, mm. I think. And so when you do that, then you romanticize some of the music, you romanticize the lyrics, and you dress up in these clothes that they don't exist anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, you know, so they, they, they do all these TV shows and whatnot with big bands, lots of singers and, and whatnot. The movie, Torebetico comes out, and that's also, you know, uh, a driving force and uh, changes things a little bit. But the, I think the late, the last uh, iteration of this revival is the best one yet. Uh, there's some young musicians right now that are playing this music that are incredible. They're super close to what it was, and they play it with finesse. They play it with respect. Not that the others didn't respect it. I don't want to say that. Uh, they just had a different uh, approach to it, mm. more from from above. Uh, these guys, they kind of sort of live it, you know. And I I like that because that's closer. They get they get under it, you know. They get in it uh, in a way that the the previous revivals didn't. But let's let's hear something from one of the earlier revivals. <laughs> I will tell you uh, tune from Marcos. This is 1983 with uh, Yorgos, Yorgos Ksindaris.
as you can see, they're trying to recreate the the sort of what mm -hmm. what might have been like, you know, the early scenes, and they're doing okay. You know, the uh, the later revival sets were not as interesting to me, and so you know that brings us to the last and and, and most interesting. And I just what 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 I would like to play is um, a clip from these two. Uh, let's see, Mitarakis. So this is a duet, uh, these two young musicians that are really wonderful players, wonderful musicians, uh, bouzouki player and uh, guitar player, playing more of the later style rebetica, so it's more complicated and, and uh, three-dimensional. Uh, they both sing, just, you know, here's a sample of it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Is this a song that they wrote in the old style, or is this an old no, song? No, no, no. This is an old song. And this is called Aptongaimomu Pino. Uh, I was, I, I want to say maybe late forties or somewhere there is mm -hmm. music from that that time. They also play some older stuff, which is very cool, like this one. And he plays same musicians, um, and he plays this modified sort of a jumbush slash tambour. Uh, Yaili tambour, but it's Instead plucked. of the buzuki. Right. And he sings, and this is an old tune um, that uh, uh, Rosa Eskenazi recorded in the 30s. Uh, it's called Agapomnia Pandremeni. It's very cool. <laughs> Yeah, boy. 
That's beautiful. Ain't that cool? So cool. Yeah. You know, it's it's really great that they're, you know, they're living it. That's what I mean. Mm. You can tell they're enjoying it in a way that it's not staged anymore. It's just, mm. it's something that, man, it's such cool music and they play it with th that right sentiment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... So here is one of my favorites. Uh, this this new young group, uh, it's been around for maybe about two, three years. It's called Rebetien. Young musicians, top-notch musicians. And uh, they're playing a lot of this older uh, Rebetico-style music, uh, some more modern stuff. But they're also composing with the same ideas, and uh, they're writing lyrics, and they're just stunning get the uh, the idea ah, gorgeous yeah it's intense you know and uh, again they use i think it's what they're writing on is that old sentiment that emotional content that so much of this music carries with it especially in the lyric you know mm. and the way they express it is just spot on uh, what is she singing about there oh man the the the, the words if i could roughly translate for you um uh, it's a very modern lyric. Uh, out in the street, when I get out in the street, bemoans the cheapness of everything and the pretentiousness of everything. Mm. 
you know, this is what's interesting to me, much like architecture that basically reflects its time. Music and these guys are reflecting the hard times in Greece right now, but they're shedding all this other stuff that they gained over the years, which was the easy life, if you will, the uh, entitlement that they felt and lived a good life for a while, and then suddenly everything collapsed from yeah. under them. Yeah. So they stopped moaning and bitching about it. Now they're just focusing in the reality of it, which is, mm. it's hard. And so they're writing unpretentious lyric. You know, that's why this music is real to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. you know right it's not a it's not a costume they're not singing about the hard times of the 20s oh yeah must have been hard <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh but yeah they they are actually living it and young musicians there's so many great musicians in greece now with nothing to do with very little to do so they, right. these guys play out in the streets they're just they're playing out in the streets for whatever a buck and now uh, mind you that there's a vast you know, population that in Greece that is not even, they don't know these people. They don't know this music. They don't right, know. Right, so this is a subculture. Yeah, it's a subculture. It's once again. <laughs> <laughs> the wheel turns. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but it is a thing. You could go to Greece and you can you can listen to this Totally, now. yeah. Oh, it's so and wonderful. it's, yeah, man, it's everywhere in Athens. Uh, and in other places, Thessaloniki too, there's a thriving scene of young musicians who play really great folk music and Asia Minor, music from Asia Minor, Rebetica, all this style, Turkish music, it's just incredible. I, when I grew up in, in Greece, uh, if you listened to folk music in Greece at the time, you were considered to be a hillbilly, but it was great music, you know? You just didn't want to listen in front of your friends. Mm. <laughs> you <know? laughs> let alone play it. So along comes the European Union, and they've given incentives in the last 20 years to create, uh, you know, when I, when I went to high school there, there were no uh, music classes of any type, of any sort. So 20 years ago, 25 years ago, they started having these classes, not only about with music and art and whatnot, but with folk music mm. so that and all these technical schools were created after that where you could essentially go and study the clarinet or the folk violin or singing or the uh, folk accordion or weird instruments gaida you know the bagpipe yeah. or or caval or you know wow. or the lira or whatever some strange uh, things that uh, all, only locals could perhaps play or and so now Fast forward 20 years, and you have uh, some young musicians that are just amazing. And they play this folk music in a way, and they respect the local idiom, which is very important. Because, again, mm -hmm. because in the 80s, yeah, folk music became kind of like a, the, the thing to do and whatnot, 80s and 90s, but it was steamrolled it was just the it was just the same everywhere you know so you could be playing music from Thessaly but it didn't matter if it sounded like it was from Rumeli you know mm -hmm. or from Th Thracian music that sounded a little bit like Panhellenic so nobody cared now they're just really focusing in all these specific regions and they play it just like that young musicians virtuoso players so yeah but they don't have there's hardly any work. Right, right. You know? So, you know, they're stuck with the passion. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, this has been Every Record Ever Recorded. I'm Hannah, and my co-host today was musician, teacher, and all-star band dad, Christos Govetas. We recorded this show on a winter morning in his home music studio just north of Seattle, Washington. The show's website at everyrecordeverrecorded.com has a list of all the songs we played, along with some further Rebetica resources, including a great playlist that Christos put together. Um, I got my bouzouki, and I'm going to... I want to start playing, so come on, dudes, get up and dance. (laughs) This episode is for my dad, who's always been so supportive of my musical enthusiasms that when I was in high school, he asked me to make him a mixtape of third-wave ska. Yovan Chaush is playing his bouzouki. He plays sweetly. Thanks to our advising engineers, Brandon Taylor of Heartware Audio in San Francisco and the inimitable Smurf of KZSU 90.1 FM. The guitar follows the Zebekiko slowly. Thanks also to the San Francisco chapter of the Awesome Foundation. Do come back next month when we will have a new episode about a different musical genre. And hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.